Brewery DB and Good Beer Matters have partnered to share the education and stories of craft and culture found in every glass. Brewery DB is the largest curated source of brewery knowledge and serves to connect craft beer lovers like yourself to your next brewery experience. Expand your knowledge of brews and create personalized brewery routes in your own neighborhood and nationwide. Visit BreweryDB.com today and be the first to explore this all-new experience. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. When I was uh, a teenager, I was T-boned because an impaired driver hit us, totaled the car, nearly killed me. There's definitely been an increase across the board throughout the United States for impaired driving related crashes, injuries and fatalities. What can we do to help protect this industry and the enthusiasts and the patrons that support it? The stats show that about every 45 minutes, someone will die from an alcohol related vehicle crash. In 2020, more than 11,500 people died in alcohol impaired traffic deaths. And these aren't always the ones who are impaired. We've all heard the stories, and maybe even some of us have been at that point where we probably shouldn't have driven after drinking. My next guest is here to educate us on this issue and help ensure we all get home safely. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I've also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe, and one thing is certain, the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There's a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 115 of Good Beer Matters with Think Twice founder, Justin Thompson. Well, today we're going to transition from the, the Good Beer Matters series that we've been working on from uh, Beyond the Beer and kind of transition just within this episode, transition into beer with benefits. Uh, there's a lot that goes on behind our drink and beyond our drink, and there's a lot that we need to um, be mindful of and considerate of. And this is one of those things that is very important to me. Uh, as anyone who's been listening to this for some time may know, um, I did spend some time in civil services and working on an ambulance and other things. So safety is really important to me and making sure everyone gets home is really important to me. And so that's why I invited my next guest on to talk about new ways to make sure that everyone gets home safe. Justin, thank you so much for coming on to the Good Beer Matters podcast. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Um, let's let's kick this off with uh, with you know some logistics. Um, will Will you please introduce yourself and tell us uh, what you do? Yeah, first and foremost, Jeremy, I love what you're doing, and I love craft oh, beer. So, as somebody who's a fan of your podcast and craft beer, I'm really excited to be on the show today to share a little bit about myself and what I'm doing to support the craft beer industry. My name is Justin Thompson. I work with Think Twice. Uh, we're an organization that is focused on helping people make more informed decisions by educating them about how they process and metabolize alcohol. Uh, and and so, and again, right off the bat, um, uh, why is this an important issue? And that sounds like a really, really stupid question. And I'm not opposed to asking stupid questions, as as anyone knows me. But why is this something that we should be talking about in the midst of a craft beer podcast? Yeah, well, front and center, uh, there's a legal driving limit in all 50 states, but there's no way to understand your risk for that limit in any of those states. And so we as an organization and as a foundation decided, hey, why is breathalyzer and BAC education not being provided to the general drinking public? At the end of the day, we want to help people understand how they process alcohol in an effort to compel them to make better decisions about the consumption of alcohol. It's one thing to say drink responsibly, but how can you drink responsibly when you can't consume consciously? And so we develop tools and educational programs to help people understand not only how they process alcohol in a way that's fun, educational, interactive about the science of BAC, 
but also in a way that helps them make more informed and better choices. Um, and it may not be the person who, let's say, is considering getting behind the wheel, maybe a passenger who's considering getting in the car with somebody who is. And when it comes to the topic of impaired driving and DUIs, unfortunately, there's been a huge increase in the United States over the last few years, according to the National Highway Safety Traffic Administration. And their focus is, for the most part, punitive. How do we ultimately make first-time offenders not repeat offend? And how do we help repeat offenders not offend continuously? Where our notion was, well, how do we help prevent it from happening in the first place? If we're going to ultimately have a per se legal driving limit, why wouldn't we educate people about how they process and metabolize that alcohol so they can understand risk and make better decisions about the consumption of it? And so we got started, I want to say about six, seven years ago, we received funding from the largest liquor liability insurance underwriting agency in the United States. And they came to us and said, hey, we have a lot of clients ranging from bars, distilleries, wineries, and breweries who we basically insure when it comes to liquor liability. And we are interested in what you're doing when it comes to breathalyzer education and helping to protect those policyholders, being the bars, the breweries, and their customers, as well as their communities. And we think that what you're doing could help universally protect everyone, being the bar and or the tap room, the employees, the patron, and of course the community, because you're effectively helping people to no pun intended, think twice and make better and more informed decisions about their consumption of alcohol. Well, and this is kind of interesting to me too, because we live in a society that loves data. We nerd out about data. How many uh, followers do I have on social? How many likes am I getting? Um, how many IBUs are in my beer? What What's the original gravity, final gravity, the SRM, the, the ABV? It, you know, we, we love these data points. And to your point that if we make a poor decision and drink too much and then drive, uh, there's a, um, a a negative result that uh, that most of us are aware of exists. But when we go through that education as a server or whatever um, in different states they require server uh, training, we learn that there's a mysterious mathematical formula that if you are of this gender, of this weight, then you can have this many drinks in this amount of time um, before you get to this. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're showing that right now on, on the screen that I'm looking at. But everyone everyone um, who works in beer most likely has seen this thing where, uh, I, I, okay, I, I'm six foot five, I'm male, I've, I, um, I'm a little over 200 pounds, so two drinks in an hour, I'm fine, I can drive. But that's not always the case. That is just a, again, a mysterious mathema mathematical formula that we all rely heavily on and don't think twice about. Um, so uh, what's the reality of, of our blood alcohol and the nuances that go into that? Well, I think we could all agree. If you drink, don't drive. I think we're all in agreement that we should plan ahead and do what we can to prevent ourselves from being in high-risk situations. But many people say that, okay, I had a drink and I drove the next day. Many people don't understand how Everybody processes alcohol differently, and it isn't just a matter of age, gender, consumption, and body mass index like you and I just alluded to. It's altitude, carbonation, pH levels, yeah. food, water, sleep. Anything that affects your metabolism affects your body's ability to break down alcohol through the liver, into the pancreas, and into the bloodstream. So and let, let me stop you real quick. Let's, 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 I want to enumerate those again. Your mood can affect your response to blood alcohol. And, and yes. as a quick aside, you can be pulled over and charged with a DUI, even though you are under the, the technical limit. Uh, the and, per se illegal driving limit in some states. And then in other states, it actually is a legal driving limit because all the states have decided to revise and update the laws around impaired driving and DUI. Some states call them OVIs, OUIs, yeah. DWIs, and DUIs. But the but the uh, the uh, the common uh, denominator on all of this is is you can be pulled over if you appear to be impaired. And what can affect your being impaired is your mood, 
your hydration level, the altitude. If you're at sea level and you go to Denver and whoop it up, uh, it's going to affect you a little bit differently. Um, and what else did you say can actually affect your BAC? Medication, medication, age, mm-hmm. any pre-existing or predisposition towards medical condition like diabetes. If, if you have some other substances on board, let's just call it what it is. If you're if you're double, triple, quadruple dipping into a good time, it you need to get out of that car or get behind or get away from that driver wheel. Let's put it that way. Yeah, they call that poly substance uh, on the state and federal level where you're using multiple substances. Alcohol is still considered to be the major cause of most crashes, injuries, and fatalities that are associated with impairment. Mm -hmm. Now we have uh, marijuana that's been legalized in many states. And marijuana impairment is now being uh, sought out as a leading cause for DUI uh, in many of the states that have legalized it. Um, and then there's you know impairment that could be actually viewed from technology perspective. There's driving under the influence of technology or electronics, they call it DUIT mm-hmm. or DUIE, which is when you're distracted by your mobile phone or by any other piece of technology that you're using while operating a motor vehicle. And that is a form of impairment because it's impairing your ability to drive that automobile safe. And, and frankly, some of my personal experiences of responding to car crashes, um, there were a surprising number of car crashes um, that were the result of people just flat out falling asleep behind the wheel. And so you don't even have to have anything on board. You can just start getting drowsy. So, so you have that drowsiness, you have that alcohol, you have that marijuana, you have the altitude, you have the medications that were prescribed from a doctor, you have the, haven't eaten in the last five hours. Um, all of these compound and affect you in ways that don't, uh, succumb or don't, don't satisfy that, that, uh, that mathematical formula that we've all been, uh, trained on. Yeah. So, so, we, actually need, so great... we need something better to give us those data points so we can make better decisions moving forward. Yeah, the idea is if we have the technology and the tools to ultimately self-test in the same way that you would self-test for anything else, whether it be a flu, a viral infection, we now have single-use portable disposable breathalyzers that can inform somebody of where they're at on a scale from zero zero two zero five and zero eight within less than two minutes with police grade accuracy and we want to make sure that these tools are available so someone's first experience with a breathalyzer is not on the side of the road when it's too late doing a field sobriety test it should be in a way that helps them understand their unique relationship with alcohol and how they process and metabolize it. And to your point, somebody who, let's say, is sad or excited may drink quicker than somebody who is, let's say, more even keel or feeling more comfortable, let's say, in a more normal setting. Mm-hmm. Um there's also, you know, the fact that people can drink more in social settings than they do, let's say, in, le- in non-social settings, because there's a level of anxiousness around being in that social setting and drinking with your peers at the same pace with them, uh, which is another unique nuance and factor when it comes to consumption of alcohol. And one of the things that, go ahead. No, no, no. You, 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 you were on a roll. Yeah, I was going to say, one of the things that we're trying to do is really help protect the independent craft bearing industry and brewing industry because unfortunately according to the insurance companies a lot of establishments are being held liable and responsible for the choices of their patrons and their valued customers when they make the decision to over imbibe and get behind the wheel and then potentially put themselves or somebody else at risk and so a lot of breweries have provided think twice at their tap rooms and at their brew labs and at their establishments in an effort to show their patrons that they care about them and extend that level of customer service to say, hey, we want you to enjoy yourself. We want you to have a good time, consume the beverages that we worked very hard to create and provide, but do it responsibly. And if you're concerned about whether or not, let's say you're at risk or need to understand 
how you're processing that alcohol to make the best decisions about it. We provide these single-use disposable breathalyzers available as an extension of customer service and an amenity to our customers to ensure that everybody gets home safe. Because a customer or a patron means more to us over a lifetime than over one fun experience at our establishment when they make the wrong decision and potentially get themselves caught up behind the wheel and into a set of circumstances that they will regret. Well, and, and, and with your blessing, I'd like to uh, uh, kick this into a different gear and um, uh, a bigger gear and kind of dive into that uh, and maybe get into uh, some uncomfortable discussions, but that discussions that need to be had. Um, uh, number one, you mentioned um, the, the let, let's start with the easy stuff first, the legal liability of if I drink too much and I drive home and I crash and cause a bad accident uh, in many states that I'm aware of, and I, and I'm, I guess I'm kind of glad I have no experience with this. Uh, so, so far, knock on wood, I've been doing it right. But, uh, the bar, the brewery, the tap room, the, the establishment has some level of liability, uh, uh, with the outcome of that crash, right? The, the server, even the, uh, the server bartender, whoever overserved that person can be liable, Right. What's your, yeah, what's your experience with the, li- with the liability and legal stuff in this, in this matter? There are more than 100 unique styles of beer, each with their own set of ingredients, process, guidelines, history, and experience. If you're a beer lover, an industry leader, or somewhere in between, a better knowledge of beer style will improve your life and your work. Welcome to A Sense of Beer Style, essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. I'm Julia Herz. And I'm Jeremy Storden. We're advanced Cicerones, beer judges, home brewers, and we're excited to guide you through the vast and wonderful world of beer styles. Yeah, the term that is commonly used is dram shop laws. And the laws are unique to the state. So each state has a separate statute that covers what liabilities are inherent with the service, the sale, and the consumption of alcohol. And because it's so nuanced and it varies from state to state, you actually have to take a look at your state statute and understand how those liabilities are inherent within the laws and how they can ultimately become a Uh, cause for concern for somebody who serves sales or pours alcohol. Hmm. And you can actually hold the server, the establishment financially and otherwise liable if somebody gets hurt as the byproduct of the sale or consumption of that alcohol. There's actually a very well-known dram shop case in the state that I live in, Washington, which is a dram shop state, where a husband and wife were served alcohol at three different establishments. The third one that they went to, they had two drinks. They left. Unfortunately, he lost control of the vehicle, crashed his car, killed two people, paralyzed his wife. And then they put together a third-party dram shop liability on the establishment that served the alcohol and won a $131 million uh, suit to provide damages to the loved ones of the families that lost their um, the deceased in this case scenario. And then the wife ended up divorcing the husband so she could join the third party lawsuit to successfully sue the liquor liability holding establishment who poured the alcohol. It was the largest dram shop case in US history. And I think that closed in 2017, but you can look it up on Google. And that case law, sent reverberations through the liquor liability insurance industry because that's being now used as a case study in an effort to help other personal injury claims be won when it comes to putting those claims against liquor liability policies and liquor liability insurance providers. And and so that, that just goes to say that I don't know of any bar or restaurant that has an extra 130 million lying around. Uh, I'm just like a, a, a really bad rainy day. Um, but the bottom line is to that story is on one level, when something bad were to happen with the drinking and driving, 
the establishment can can take a financial hit. Um, they can take a um, legal hit. Uh, the servers can lose jobs. Um, in some cases, I've heard of people having uh, serving jail time. Um, uh, so, and and that's not even not even considering the emotional side of living the rest of your life knowing that you contributed to someone's demise. And 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 forgive yeah. me for turning this uh, kind of making this podcast a big bummer, but I want to be honest about this before we make it light and fun and happy again. Um, so that so that's one level. Uh, the other level that um, that we need to consider is uh you know and one of the stories from my time on ambulance uh and there and and without revealing any detailed information any hip information there was a kid uh late teens early 20s uh who for mysterious reasons uh crossed over the um the the middle the middle line and went head on with the family of four the family of four were killed this kid suffered irreparable brain damage, uh, and and subsequently lived in a hospital bed in the living room where his aging parents basically cared for him, and uh, and we only ran on him when uh, he would have he'd have seizures every single day, and his his parents knew how to take care of it. But every once in a while, um, the you know we had they would call us to come in and use the tools that we had to stop the seizure from happening and 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 all that sort of stuff but the i i bring this up because now you have a family of four who who is no longer alive you have this kid whose entire life was destroyed um and you have this um these parents who have to basically care for their their child i mean he was a grown man in diapers living in a hospital bed in the middle living room because of this crash um, uh, and, and this, and I only bring this up in detail because I want people, anyone listening to this, I want you to think very closely. It's, there's a lot of giggles out there that I've heard of, of people drinking and then, oh, you know, it takes practice to do it right. Or it, uh, or I don't live that far or whatever euphemism to make light of this very serious issue. You need to understand that this can destroy lives, not just in death, but in ways that some may regard as worse than death of, of being in a diaper for the rest of your life and having your aging parents have to take care of you. This, these are things that, that occur more often than they should. So, um, so that, that's my little PSA there, Justin, what prompted you to do this work in the beginning? If you're willing to share that. Yeah, I was going to definitely share that, but I wanted to emphasize the reason why the insurance underwriting firms approached Think Twice was after that Dram Shop case that was set forth, they wanted to find proactive ways to help protect their policyholders and prevent their policyholders from paying out liability and claims like the one that I just explained. Yeah, yeah. More than half the states in the United States have Dram Shop laws. And the majority of people don't drink and drive. And the majority of people choose to drink responsibly. We're looking at those people who ultimately are think, guessing, and feeling their BAC Mm -hmm. and making an assumption about whether they can or can't drive. And the whole think twice notion was, hey, let's take the guesswork out of it and let's get people home safe. Let's help them make a more informed and better decision and not leave thinking, guessing, and feeling. And that's why the insurance companies who arguably know more about risk than anybody because they pay the claims, <laughs> yeah. want to endorse our program and help us pilot it so we got our seed funding from them to go to our first 150 establishments to provide Think Twice. And what we found out is people are generally curious about their BAC and in some cases concerned. Because you can't ask anyone these days if you, anyone you know, love, or care about has been affected. We've all been affected by impaired driving, whether directly or indirectly. We all either have a friend who's got a DUI or we know somebody who's been hurt because of impaired driving. And that's why I got involved. I got involved because when I was a teenager, I was T-boned and I was sent to Harborview, which is intensive care, because an impaired driver hit us, totaled the car, nearly killed me. I fought for my life in intensive care for several weeks. 
and they were able to stabilize my condition. At that time, I had some very harsh reservations about people who drink and drive and the people who serve the people who do. But then God, faith, whatever you may believe, had a different plan for me. Uh, I actually became a bartender to pay my way through college. And I got to see it from both sides. And I said to myself, my God, why is everyone guessing? I'm guessing whether or not my patrons can have another drink. They're guessing whether or not they can consume another drink and drive. And then I would leave work at the end of my shift as a bartender. And I would look outside and say, everybody almost drove. I think two cars were left out of about a hundred in our yacht, our, our lot. Yeah. And I said to myself, why are people leaving this to guess think and feel when we have the tools and the technology to know before you go in an effort to take advantage of rideshare, have food and water and hang out for a while and metabolize the alcohol and putting yourself obviously at a test to zero respect, which is one of the things that we encourage. And like you were alluding to earlier, um, everybody processes alcohol differently. And it isn't just a matter of age, gender and BMI, like I said, Alcohol can actually stay in your system for up to 72 hours. So a lot of people think the next day, hey, I slept it off. I should be good. And then they get into trouble on the roads the day after they consumed alcohol, thinking that they should be sober. But we have the medical grade diagnostics self-testing tools now that they can actually use that breathalyzer in the morning, see where they're at. And determine, should they take more time to sober up until they can test to zero and operate the vehicle with peace of mind and knowing that they're safe and that they're not putting anybody else at risk? Or should they at some point down that journey think, guess, and feel? And I know because when I was going to school, we would wake up early in Whistler to come back from a Whistler trip in Canada. And many of the students that I was going to school with would think, hey, I only drank until four or five o'clock in the morning. I slept uh, at least six, seven hours. I should be good. And many of them would get caught with impaired driving and DUIs the next day thinking I slept it off. And so, yeah, you know, they, the whole they, notion- they followed that mathematical formula, thought I'm in the clear, not really assessing how am I really feeling and, and obviously exactly. not having any data points to tell us what's really going on. Yeah. And so I got involved because I was nearly killed by a drunk driver and I love craft beer. I love to enjoy responsibly with friends and family, especially given the holidays that are coming up. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm doing a craft beer festival tomorrow and I can't wait. I always bring my growler to find out which craft beer I'm going to select to bring home with me. Um, and that being said, I said, what can we do to help protect this industry and the enthusiasts and the patrons that support it? And what we said is breathalyzer and BAC education. We can help the average consumer of alcohol know how they process alcohol. How can that help them, their friends, and their family all make better decisions about the science of BAC and the risks associated with driving? So, uh, and I shared one of the stories that I that I'm aware of. You shared yours. Thank you for sharing that. By the way, um, uh, you know, for anyone listening, you. Know, we've all been affected in some way or the other. I've worked with people who had to take time off from work because they had to go serve out their DOI sentence and yada, yada, yada. And, um, but think about the reality of what could happen. Think about the what if scenarios that not, not the, not the random far out there, what if scenarios, but the what if scenarios that are common, the what if scenarios that are likely, um, uh, and the what if scenarios that are possible, and, and think about what it takes to avoid those negative what-if scenarios. It's so simple. Get a ride. Don't drink and drive. Plan your evening out. I'm, I'm a big proponent of quality over quantity anyway, so then there's the whole the uh, amount of alcohol we drink. But the reality of, of drinking the stats, can you share any, um, any stats or, or – um, well, yeah, stats and the reality of what of what is actually occurring out there on a on a daily basis. Definitely, I was just on the National Traffic Safety Board conference call yesterday, and I was on the National Highway Safety Traffic Administration call before that. So I've got the stats. Um, there's definitely been an increase across the board throughout the United States for impaired driving related crashes, injuries, and fatalities. Fourteen percent was the increase that NHTSA. The National Highway Safety Traffic Administration reported. 
Washington State alone reported a 22% increase of DUIs last year. Uh, and, you know, I want us to take a step back because drinking and driving is a very persistent problem that has caused issues for decades in our culture. But it's at a level now where we have to take a step back and ask ourselves why. Is it because people are drinking more? and driving more? Or is it because there's other factors like they're drinking, driving, and trying to operate a mobile phone at the same time? So distraction is playing a role into this increase of impaired driving-related injuries, crashes, and DUI statistics. Because it isn't just, I had a couple of drinks and now I'm driving and white-knuckling myself home. It's now I'm distracted while being impaired and intoxicated. And that combination is causing the huge increase of issues, including insurance claims against liquor liability policies, which unfortunately continue to go up. Most liquor liability insurance policies are reporting that they're increasing rates anywhere between 5 and 15% with no increase of alcohol sales or food sales. They're just making them go up because of the claims that are being put against them in order to cover those costs. And like I said, more than half the states in the United States have dram shop laws that can hold the people who serve in poor or the establishment where the alcohol is sold and offered legally, financially, and otherwise responsible if somebody gets hurt as the byproduct of the sale or consumption of that alcohol. And, and I think we just need to realize that it is not worth the trouble. It is not worth a death. It is not worth the injury. It's not worth the car repairs. It's not worth the legal issues. It's not worth the financial loss. The whole point of good craft beer is to have a good experience. This is the exact opposite of a good experience. Um, and and uh, before I launch into yet another PSA, we, we just need to find better ways to manage it. And, of course, one of the ways is to have have some knowledge. And, of course, um, that, that's, again, where you've come in, you kind of talked about it. What are, um, what are the, the products that you guys have come up with? Not just the breath, breathalyzers, but it, it looks like you have a few different programs or th things going on with what you're trying to help uh, – how you're trying to help solve this issue. Yeah, and I, I love what you said there. Um, a lot of people think bottoms up, out the door I go. And that's <laughs> kind of a notion uh, of consumption here in the United States where it's bottoms up, enjoy what craft beverage you just consumed. Someone worked very hard to develop that beverage, its flavor profile and the characteristics of it so you could enjoy it. And the idea is enjoy it in a way where you're able to and not in a way where you can't do it comfortably. I yeah. love that you said because that's the notion behind what we're trying to do is get people to enjoy the craft beer, the craft wine, cider, seltzer, whatever it may be, and put yourself in a position to truly enjoy it from head to toe without any apprehension, any anxiety. And what's really fascinating about that is I went golfing and had a six pack with uh, a good friend of mine. And I'm just going to use kind of this anecdotal story. And we were drinking beer while we were golfing. And by the time we ended our trip, we blew zeros. We had fully metabolized all the alcohol we consumed while golfing because we were doing recreational exercise and activity. And we had fully processed it, metabolized it. And it was funny. I had a bet with the guy I was golfing with. He actually beat me on the course in a skins match. But by the time we were done, I was guessing his BAC and he was guessing mine. And we had a little wager. And I said, I bet you're at zeros. And I think that I'll probably be around a point zero too. And he was a little bit larger of a man than I was. And sure enough, we went to a, a police-grade digital handheld breathalyzer that I use. Um, it's the Think Twice Alcomate breathalyzer. And uh, it's as accurate as a, a PBT or one that would be admissible for court purposes. And he blew into it. He blew straight zeros. And I blew a point zero one, I think, 
two. So I was, you know, one eighth of the per se legal limit. And he said, how did you know that I would blow zeros? And I said, based on how long it's been, the ABV of the alcohol we were drinking and the science involved with your metabolization and consumption, I approximated that you would be at a very low risk because we'd been together for about six hours. And they say that one beer leaves your system depending upon the ABV, 0.015, every hour after consumption. And we were drinking about a 5%, 6% ABV. And then we had food and water with um, our golfing. And he was really shocked that he had fully metabolized the alcohol. But in that same scenario, if somebody metabolized it differently, they might be at a higher BAC, putting themselves at a greater risk. But it was just such a great experience. So to talk about the other products that we provide, Jeremy, we provide digital breathalyzers at uh, rates that people can afford to make sure that those who are socioeconomically challenged can still have access to the science of BAC and the ability to educate themselves about how they process alcohol. We have our disposable breathalyzers, which are really meant for people in those what-if scenarios. Let's say I didn't plan ahead and now I'm at a lunch setting or watching a ball game or with friends and I actually decided to imbibe and, and have a couple uh, alcoholic beverages. Well, now I'm in a scenario I didn't plan for and I don't have the tools and I plan for Uber, maybe Uber's not even available where I'm at, yeah. you know, because Uber's not ubiquitous. It's only available usually in major cities. Um, and I found that out in Montana when I did a lot of the public safety work that we did with the task force out there in Missoula and some of the surrounding counties and cities is that they were like, hey, we don't even have Uber here. So if we're drinking, we don't have an alternative other than call a family member, a friend, or maybe call the local sheriff to see if he'll give us a ride and help us out. Right. And those resources are really slim for most people. Like if you talk to most people, they don't have a Rolodex of people they can call if they're in a scenario where they're out with friends and they chose to have alcoholic beverages inadvertently or in an unplanned set, set of circumstances. Yeah. We also have a great product called the voluntary ignition interlock system, which is your ability to do alcohol monitoring administered by yourself in a way that's not court ordered. So this ultimately sets governance on a Bluetooth breathalyzer that works with an app on your smartphone and an interlock system on your car to set a zero tolerance, a zero two tolerance, or whatever you may wanna set it at for your automobile. So you're not able to operate your automobile unless you're of a safe set of circumstances to do so. And then the app can actually escalate to Uber, Lyft, commuter transit, like buses, trains, light rails, as well as an SOS feature to call a hero, which would be your friends, family, or your social peers from your social network to see if somebody might be able to help you out by helping provide you a ride given the circumstances. Yeah. And we're finding that a lot of people are going for this voluntary ignition system because it's one wire, very easy to install. It's a very low monthly cost, but it's a great way to set governance for yourself, your family. For example, I have a 19 year old son, okay? Tells me he doesn't drink. I definitely nod my head to tell him I believe him, right? <laughs> but I know that I explored and experienced alcohol before the age of 21, in all honesty. And I know that there's a possibility that he could be doing so with his friends as well. So I implemented this voluntary ignition interlock system in his car when he said, hey, dad, I want a car. Terrific. Here's my condition. I'll help you get a car and get situated you're going to put this piece of technology in so we both have peace of mind at yeah. the end of the day. And, and, and it's not necessarily, you know, these are products, as I understand them, they're not just for the people who have gotten in trouble and now are forced to breathe into this tube before their car will start. This is for people who want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. You know, like with your son, hey, I, I remember walking into bars with a horrible fake ID uh, when I was younger. And and uh, hopefully the statute of limitations has long passed since it's been a while since I was that age. <laughs> but but the pressure to do that is there. And, 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 and the method of just, you know, parents burying their head in the sand and saying, nope, my son, my daughter doesn't do that there will come a time and, and it's, it's not, it's not a, 
it doesn't have to be punitive. And as you were alluding before, I kind of want to get back to this. It can be kind of an enlightening educational thing, and it could be done in a kind of a fun way as well. And 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 so talk about. Um, uh, actually, I'm going to cut myself off uh, because there's a there's a piece in this too that I really really wanted to make sure that we um, uh, talked about. So I'm going to put a pin on that in a minute. So if we use these products that you just mentioned, or even the disposable things. I'm I'm a little worried that it won't equate to what the police are using if we were pulled over and had to prove our sobriety. Um, is there an apples to uh, oranges situation there, or are they using the same tech, the same information, the same data points? Yeah, so when it comes to breathalyzers, we're talking about accuracy, usability, and variance when it comes to the effective ability to register, somebody, register somebody's BAC. So the digital breathalyzers that we provide effectively have the same variance and accuracy as a police-grade breathalyzer used for court-admissible purposes and evidentiary purposes. The uh, breathalyzers all have varying grades of accuracy and variance. There's no such thing as a right-on-the-money where you're at because BAC is a moving target. It's constantly in change like your metabolism is when it comes to consuming it and working it through your system. So what we wanted to make sure is that we brought a product that was not only FDA approved, but that was vetted in wet labs. So our product being our single use has actually been used in police wet labs where they get people intoxicated mm -hmm. using taxpayer dollars to effectively see and observe the effects of the alcohol with the volunteers who consume, and then they subject them to a blood test, a breathalyzer test, and a field sobriety test at certain BAC thresholds and levels. So the new task force officers can more closely discern the effects of impairment while out there in the field and trying to remove people from the road, but also so they can use the technology to effectively understand what level of toxicology is involved with the individual who's suspect for impairment. And they have taken our product into wet labs and it scored 10 out of 10 for accuracy, usability, reliability, and ease of use. And when we awesome. got that wet lab study coupled with that FDA approval, we said, we have a product that we can hang our hats on that will help somebody understand how they process alcohol in a way that's convenient, discreet, practical, cost-effective, and very easy. Which is really the, I mean, the best way to actually use it. If it's hard, it's not going to happen. If it's expensive, it's not going to happen. But if you have all, it sounds like you guys have perfectly aligned all the planets to make it work for us, us being the consumers, us for the people who like, it's so easy to say, ah, I can, I can make it home. It's so easy to do that. And I've heard tons of people say that, or it's not far, or I know the way, or I've, you know, I've done this before. Now it's so easy to just get one of these products, try it and, and just know, know where you are. And maybe you have to hang out and drink water for an, another hour because you're right on the edge. Who knows? But you'll know, well, you will know. Go ahead. Yeah. And I was going to say, there's a, there's a couple other different product options we have. We have a home party pack because a lot of people will be entertaining this holiday season. Good, because I, I wanted to ask you, how can we make this fun? So let, let, let's talk about how we can make this fun. Yeah, so we have a home party pack. Um, like I said, it's the holiday season. Many people will be entertaining, having Friendsgiving, Thanksgiving, other holiday festivities and fun uh, events will be probably on the docket for most of us, whether we're hosting or attending. For sure. And we developed an interactive uh, party pack, which provides pens for games, a bottle opener, that goes on the fridge, which is the busiest door in the house and typically the one where everything's kept cold. Mm -hmm. And then we have a box of single-use breathalyzers that are provided along with stickers, a magnet, and then a BAC chart that effectively helps you understand the difference between intoxication and BAC. And the whole idea is we want social groups to come together to confer on the topic of BAC 
intoxication and consumption in a way that is inviting them to do so that's fun, educational, interactive, and helps them explore that science that pertains to them as an individual and that's very unique to them as an individual as well. And so all that's provided in our home party pack, which then allows you to be a host who not only is able to provide food, fun, and beverages, but also a very socially interactive and educational way. Hey, I care about you. You came to my house to have a good time and enjoy yourself. Please make the best decision to get home safe. And on that topic, many states have private party liability where you can actually hold the house liable where you consume the alcohol in the event that you get behind the wheel after you leave somebody's private residence or party and something bad happens as a product of that consumption. Yeah. What's interesting about private party liability is you don't have to buy the alcohol. You don't have to pour the alcohol. You don't have to even offer the alcohol. Meaning you as my guest, Jeremy, can come to my birthday, which was yesterday, actually. Yes. Happy um, birthday, by the way. Thank you. And um, you could bring your own beer in a BYOB sense and you consume at my residence. And then if you leave and effectively hurt yourself or somebody else, you could come back and say, hey, Justin, this is actually your fault, not mine. And what was interesting is there was a bartender who I talked to on that topic who uh, said she was away while her high school son was at home alone through a party. One of the kids at his house from his high school was drinking, left, got in a car accident with a tree. Thank God nobody was killed or anything like that. He got in an accident. He broke his leg. And then the mother of that uh, high school student who was um, who hurt himself sued her for private party liability. She had to foreclose her house because they sued her for over a million dollars and won. She couldn't afford to pay that claim. So she foreclosed on her house. And she told me that story. She wasn't even home. She said, I wasn't even there. My son did this. It happened and they held me personally responsible and I had to lose my house. Because of it. Yeah. And I said to myself, my gosh. And so, you know, that was a scenario that was kind of anecdotal on the topic of home party packs, but we want to make it fun. Like you were talking about yeah. for people to explore how they process alcohol, but that's the worst case scenario that I heard from somebody And my heart just went out to her saying you weren't at home. Your son made a bad decision. Somebody got hurt and now you lost your home because of dram shop laws and how they held you personally, financially, and otherwise responsible for that outcome. Even yeah. though you weren't at your house, you didn't condone the activity. Yeah. And, 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 and that opens up a completely different set of questions and ethics. And, and that's a different podcast, a different time, but just the fact of just understanding that that can happen, whether you agree with it, whether you like it is a completely separate question. You just need to know that this has happened and it can happen again. So, you know, I, you know, do, uh, I was what am I trying to say? You know, use, yeah. I was going to say, use, use the products to, to kind of, uh, uh, help avoid that situation. So, um, we've got we, just a few minutes left and I do have some closing questions for you, but how can we make this fun and educational? So we have, uh, party packs, like I was mentioning yeah. before for, hosting at a private residence or a private event. We also have gift bags. So let's say you're going to a bad Santa or a white elephant party and you want to grab a gift. We actually have great gift ideas to help socialize and normalize breathalyzer use. Because one of the things that we as Think Twice are trying to achieve is to destigmatize breathalyzers and remove the negative connotation associated with them. At the end of the day, they're diagnostic tools that help somebody understand BAC in a way that is not only scientific, but in a way that helps them better um, make better choices and decisions around the consumption of alcohol. So we've developed a myriad of different ways to socialize breathalyzers, to use breathalyzers, and to have fun to educate yourself about how breathalyzers work from our website. We actually have a tutorial about actually how breathalyzers work, how to calibrate them. 
breathalyzers uh, wane with efficacy and accuracy with use, so they have to be recalibrated. We actually offer the only breathalyzer, digital and electronic one, that does not need recalibration because it has a calibration cartridge. So like batteries in a remote, you pull the cartridge out, put a brand new one in, you've got day one accuracy, and now you're not mailing your device back to a manufacturer to be calibrated in a lab and then to be mailed back to you. Meanwhile, you're flying blind the whole time. Yeah. And so, you know, we wanted to really find unique ways where we could socialize the use of breathalyzers in ways that were acceptable, in ways that were interesting, and in ways that were very educational. And we all have a... Uh, a hospitality program as well, which a lot of the tap rooms uh, will carry, uh, which is just a box of our breathalyzer. We give them a logbook to document all of their responsible uh, decision-making from a liability perspective, whether it's a slip, a fall, an altercation, or maybe you refuse somebody who comes in impaired and mm -hmm. intoxicated and you don't feel comfortable serving them alcohol. Well, you know what? You need to document that you refuse them because they may ultimately think that you're the one who served them if something happens and now you're being implicated in a lawsuit you have nothing to do with. Yes. Or maybe you serve them a couple of beverages and after a couple, you don't feel comfortable continuing to serve them alcohol. You need to document that, hey, we refuse them service and cut them off. We advise them that they should not drive and we'd be happy to call them an Uber. Uh, we provided them think twice in an effort to help them make the best decision possible to get home safe. Cutoffs are a unique topic that we could probably do a separate podcast <laughs> all onto itself. And I've got a which, few stories of my own in that regard too. <laughs> which, you know, we want it to be uh, an, an experience that doesn't ultimately leave a bad taste in the patron's mouth or in the servers yeah. when it comes to how you're looking out for that person. And we want to make sure it's also not subjective to, I think you're impaired and intoxicated. You don't. Well, how do we de-escalate that situation and extend that customer service to that patron in a way that helps them realize that they're not going to get another drink and that you care about them and that you want to make sure they get home safe? Yeah. And, and, and if I think you've had too much and you're thinking, no, I've only had one, what are you talking about? Well, here, blow into this and then let's find out for sure. We we can come from a point of of accurate data, not a he said, he said, she said, she said type of situation. You know, it's we we can we can work through this in a better way. So this is a tool that can solve many different little issues that we haven't really found good ways to solve before. Um Yes, truly. Yeah. Um, but just with a few minutes we have left, I want to close down with some fun questions. Um, so, uh, uh, and yes, uh, I did see on LinkedIn that uh, yesterday was your birthday. And uh, and for your birthday, a belated birthday gift, we are going to make you the king of the beer world tomorrow. And you, could be, you, could, you, you are the king of the entire beer world. What's the first thing you would change? What's the first thing I would change in the beer world? Let's see here. I would I would make delivery of craft beer and memberships with my favorite craft breweries easier across all states. So some states allow you to ship alcohol mm -hmm. and do so even duty free. Other states are more restrictive. I think that I should be able to be a member at, let's say, my favorite craft brewery, right? I'm in the mug club. My mug's hanging on that wall. Yeah. But you know what? I'm not always available to go and imbibe and fill that mug. So I'd like that craft brewery to send me their seasonal and whatever other wonderful beers they've put together in a package that arrives at my doorstep that allows me to support my local brewery directly without a distributor involved. Okay. And get my favorite craft beers delivered right to my house directly from them in a way that's cost effective, convenient, and easy. I've talked to many craft brewers. Some can do this, some can't. Some of it's a regulation restriction on the state level, some of it just isn't, it's cost prohibitive. Yeah. But I would love to be, as the king of the craft beer world, able to subscribe and be a member at any craft brewery of my choice and to get their craft beverage delivered right to my doorstep. So I don't necessarily need to go, let's say, to Idaho to experience my love for Boise Brewing, Mad Swede, yeah. or any of the great breweries that I know that are out there in Boise. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I don't need to go all the way to, 
you know, uh, Utah to try some of my favorite beers in Utah. I can actually get them delivered directly to me utilizing just a postal service and get a care package delivered directly from them. Well, I think that is a royal decree that uh, I could certainly get behind, and I think a lot of people would get behind. I, I think about some of the beers I've had around the country, around the world, that just that have, that occupy a fond memory in my brain. And uh, it's it's not easy to go back to Hawaii just to have a beer, you know. It's <laughs> but I'd like to. It'd be fun. Yeah. Um, so as the end of your uh, day of uh, beer royalty, you get to go anywhere in the earth uh, for a meal and a beer. Where would you go and what would you have? You know, I'm going to go to Munich. I'm going to go to Germany. Oh, nice. I need to go to really the forefathers of the process of fermentation, crafting ales, crafting beers and sours and all the things that I love. And I would love to go into those unique areas where they were fermenting and crafting and creating the beverages that now I take for granted with a twist top or a pull cap. Yeah. Uh, and I would love to have authentically Bavarian food in a unique Bavarian setting. Um, and, you know, that would be probably where I would go to capitalize on my royalty as the king of craft beer and really getting a hands-on experience for what ultimately, what ultimately started this passion, this enthusiasm, uh, for many, including myself. Yeah. Myself as well. So, uh, that sounds like a wonderful day. Well spent. Um, Another question is, how do you define good beer? And more importantly, why does good beer matter? So I would define good beer as good people who are passionate about what they do, creating beverages that they themselves enjoy and for others' enjoyment. Mm. Uh, and I have met so many good brewers, Jeremy, uh, and good craft beer uh brewery owners who love what they do. They love the people. They love the uh, process of beer making. I've actually made beer before um, twice, and I realized I wasn't too great at it, which really opened me up to have a profound appreciation for those who focus on the science of uh, craft beer and how to really make a, a flavor profile that's going to suit the appetite of many different people. Um, and so when it comes to the second question, what was the second question? Uh, why does good beer matter? Good beer matters to me because some of my best experiences have been at actually brew pubs and tap rooms. Um, and it brings people together just like food, yeah. food and alcohol bring people together and we become greater as a community than we do apart and alone. And anything that brings people together, I'm a proponent of, and I think good beer brings people together to have good times and lasting memories. And that's why I think. Excellent. Um, For anyone listening, uh, if if they want to learn more about BAC or your products uh, or how to get a hold of some of uh, your uh, breathalyzers, where can they go to connect? Well, first thing I'll say is don't take my word for it. Check us out on uh, social media. Check out, you know, what other people say and think, whether it be, you know, some of the breweries who support our foundation and carry our product and program and promote drink responsibly in a way that is practical and that allows their patrons to make more informed decisions. Um, you can learn more about us from our social handle at Think Twice Save Lives, which would be our Facebook and Instagram. And you can also check us out on our website, which is duiprevention.org to learn more about our products, our services, how we're giving back to communities with our college outreach program, uh, with our BAC education program, which is exactly what I'm going to be doing tomorrow at the Craft Beer Festival. We're going to be doing free breathalyzer education with all those that attend. It's a public service that we provide. Um, uh, to help people understand how they process alcohol at a brew festival in a way that's fun, educational, and interactive, and it costs them nothing. So we provide that as a completely free service, um, and that's one of the things that we do with our 501c3 foundation. Awesome. Now, I want to last and last thing I want to finish off by giving you the stage uh, so you can share your uh, uh, calls to action or any final words of wisdom you want to share with anyone listening. 
Thank you so much for taking the time to um, listen to this podcast, uh, learn more about what we're doing as an organization. And I want to say that, you know, together we can save lives, we can change lives, but it's up to us to come together as a culture, as a community, and as a society. And I think we need to elevate the level of awareness and conscious understanding about breathalyzers and how they can be used to not only effectively save lives, but help protect the industry that we all are so passionate and care about. So please join me in doing so by connecting with us on social media, uh, Think Twice Save Lives, or learning more about us from our website, duiprevention.org. My name is Justin, and uh, cheers to you. And here's to a future with more cheers for all of us. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for the work that you're doing and and trying to solve this issue that uh, has gone without a good solution for a long time. I, 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 I'm double duty with having worked in emergency and, and working in the beer industry, um, which is why, as you and I spoke, why I wanted you to come on here. But um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that anyone listening share this with uh, people who who need to hear this. Um, There's a better way and it's uh, together and with great beer. So thank you for coming. Thank you and good beer matters. Beer can be an excellent tool to build relationships and experiences, but it can also be a tool that destroys them as well. I urge all of you listening to drink well and drink safely because every trip to a brewery or tap room must be a round trip. In the next episode, we talk to a brewery from Oregon who's known as much for their beer as they are doing good across the globe. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. After that, Grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.